You are listening to the Toxic Mold Podcast with my husband, Steve Worsley, the toxic mold expert and your number one source for mold consulting and mitigation in the USA. Here is episode number two. Where does mold live in my house? Before we get started on this episode, a short or not so short disclaimer. While all attempts have been made to verify the content provided in this podcast, neither the podcaster or the producers assume any responsibility for errors, omissions, or alternative interpretations of the issues discussed herein. All information stated in this podcast is the opinion of Steve Worsley. Steve Worsley is a mold specialist with over 20 years of experience in the construction and mold industry. The Toxic Mold Podcast is for information sharing purposes only. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and his alone. These views should not be taken as expert instruction or commands. While there may be references to medical conditions and symptoms, all solo podcast episodes are the opinion of Steve Worsley, and any medical questions or concerns shall be addressed with the appropriate licensed medical professional or professionals. As the podcaster refers to different mold types, please be aware that Steve Worsley is not a microbiologist, and questions concerning mold specifics should be answered by the appropriate professional. The listener is 100% responsible for his or her own actions. You can check out Steve's books on Amazon about mold and dealing with mold in your home at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Steve Worsley. And if you're interested in scheduling a mold consultation over the phone consultation with Steve, you can be sure to find out more about those and his availability at cnccontractorservices.com. Now let's get to the episode. While editing this episode, I did notice I did make a mistake. When we were talking about the roof, I state that uh, one square for a roof is 10 square feet, which is not correct. Uh, it's actually 100 square feet. So instead of re-recording the whole podcast, I'm just letting you guys know that uh, I misspoke. And one square when we're dealing with the roof is 100 square feet. We are back for another episode of the Toxic Mold Podcast. So last episode, babe, we talked about this whole concept of um, the fact that mold happens everywhere. It happens everywhere, and there are certain conditions that make it more prone, to, in, especially in your home, to having toxic mold happen. Talk to me a little bit about where mold lives in your house. I know a lot of people say, well, what am I looking for? And what if I can't see the mold? And where do I find it in my house? What's your answer to that question? Well, so once again, I, I want to reiterate that mold can happen in any room in the home. So don't just think because your teenage daughter's complaining about headaches all the time or mold sickness symptoms, don't just assume, you know, she's in her bedroom all the time, so I'm sure it's not a mold issue. So just keep that in mind that mold can, it can be anywhere throughout the home. But obviously there, there are certain rooms that when we're doing mold mitigation, you can about guarantee we're going to be working in that room. And one of those is a bathroom. It's, it's a rare occasion that there's not a mold issue in a bathroom and you might not see it. The, the crazy part is, is when we do, so when we do mold mitigation and we go in and do a bid, we're doing a non-invasive inspection of the property, meaning we're not pulling toilets up or pulling baseboards out to see 
how far the mold spread. And so typically with any mold issue, whether it's in a bathroom or not, we typically get into removing, you know, parts of the structure like the toilet or baseboards. And we just see the mold is, it, you know, it, before you know it, the mold, let's say is an area of 20 square feet. It could turn into two, 200 square feet. So keep that in mind too with mold is a lot of times that you don't think it's there because you can't visibly see it. So, so on top of just the fact that it's usually in a bathroom, you got to remember if this bathroom, let's say, let's say you have a full basement. If you have a mold issue in a bathroom, you need to be very careful that you don't just focus only on that bathroom. You need to focus on the rooms that are adjacent to it because they share the interior of the wall. So the wall cavity itself, they share that same wall per se. It's the same two by four, two by six, whatever wall. So you want to make sure that obviously if it's a bathroom that you go down below and make sure there's no water stains in the ceiling below that tub. Or let's say, you know, it's a kitchen, do the same thing. So what I wanted to get to is, is the other most common place that we're doing mold mitigation. In Wyoming, we have a lot of full basements. So, you know, those of you that live in the South, um, just due to soil, um, the moisture in the soil, most, most of you guys are used to a slab on grade. So you don't have a basement, but up here in Wyoming, uh, we have a lot of basements and that is probably next to a bathroom, the most common area that we're doing mold mitigation. in. And the reason obviously we're, that that happens is the basement floor is lower than the dirt grade on the outside. So if any water sits at the foundation, it's going to end up in that basement. So, so we have bathrooms that, like I said, is a very crucial place, your basement, and then also your kitchen. Um, in the kitchen, it could be, it could be minor things that let's just say over time, uh, your, your drain underneath the sink. So let's just say at the P trap, there's just a minor drip. You, you don't see it because you have a bunch of debris, uh, placed below that sink. And it, over time, it can obviously cause a mold issue. So, the, the crucial places in your home, bathroom, foundation, kitchen, and then the third one is your attic. The attic is probably the least uh, monitored area. Once again, I know I know back east they have attics that actually have rooms in them, but out here we, we don't. Um, an attic here in Wyoming is just a, there's a hatch in a hallway. You crawl up there and all you're going to see is insulation. So most people don't even get up in their attics around here. So that is something that you need to be very vigilant on making sure that you do every spring and fall, or if you have an issue, uh, let's say a, a hailstorm that damages your roof, make sure you inspect that attic. So like I said earlier, the, the key thing about where to find it in your home would be determined by, you know, your type of lifestyle. Do you have kids that are in the bathtub splashing over? So so just remember that, that it can be anywhere in the home, but for the most part, it's going to be in, in the areas that we talked about. So you say attic, and the first thing that comes to mind for me are, are skylights. I know there are people, plenty of people have homes that still have skylights, although that's a pretty traditional thing to have nowadays. What do you say about moisture intrusion and when you have skylights and things to think about for there? Because I've noticed that sometimes the skylights can trap in moisture correct so so skylights um in it you know 10 20 years ago it was kind of a 
it was kind of the thing to do because you could put a skylight in a bathroom and obviously that natural sunlight helps light the room. But the problem you have with a skylight is in, you know, when I was doing home inspections, the pretty much the wording I used is the skylights are very problematic. And anybody knows this, if any type of void like a chimney or a flue at the, on the roof, anything that's installed up there just creates another potential moisture intrusion area. And obviously with a skylight, it's, it, it's very common to see that. So I, for the most part, I'm not a big fan of skylights. You're kind of asking for a moisture intrusion problem, but there's many things that can happen. I mean, it, the, it could just get cracked from, from a hailstorm. And depending on if the type of property you have or the awareness you have as far as crawling up on the roof and noticing that, you're probably not going to see it. So the best way on a skylight though, uh, as far as the attic itself, for the, for the most part on a skylight, the moisture intrusion you're not going to see. And, and the reason why is, is up from the rough side, you're not, you'll be able to see if it's sealed or not, but you can't really see anything on the roof per se. When you get up in the attic, unless you don't have insulation or you crawl over to where the skylight is and, uh, you dig the insulation away, you're not going to see that, that moisture damage because it's going to fall through the insulation and sit right there on that ceiling. And when I say the ceiling, it'll be the, the backside of it. So you can't visibly see it, but one quick, easy way to know if you're having a skylight issue is just go into the room that it's at and you'll see there, there'll be discoloration, water stains or whatever. So, the best advice I can give you with a skylight, first and foremost, if you're building a home or you're redoing a roof, once again, this is my opinion, do not put a skylight in. But if you do have them and you're concerned that it could be leaking, first, the, the first thing you can do, which is simple, is walk into that room and just look up and see, are there water stains? Absolutely. So that brings me to another question. Well, first, let me backtrack a second. I don't know if everybody who's listening knows what moisture intrusion means. So could you quickly define <laughs> what, you and I know what it means, but I don't think most people understand that term. So what is moisture intrusion? So, so a moisture intrusion event is any way that water has made its way into the home and it can happen over time and take a long time, like a crack in the foundation and improper grading and drainage or a skylight. Uh, the, a major event that obviously you're going to be fully aware of what's going on would be like, let's say a, a water pipe break. So once that happens, and so when we say a moisture intrusion event, obviously water that wasn't meant to be is in places that it shouldn't be. So the best thing you can do with that, once again, is to watch for, for moisture stain, stuff like that. If, if your supply line, especially anybody that's dealt with this knows this, if your water supply line, let's say to your sink ruptures, you're going to know very fast that you have an issue. It's no different than when we had a water heater issue. I was walking on the carpet. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? We caught that within probably a half hour of that. And what had happened, just so uh, you listeners know, is the bottom of the water heater had started to rust. And, and for the most part, it looked like the water heater was it was fine. But what had happened over time was is the bottom of the water heater rusted and, and it leaked. So anyhow, we noticed it right off the bat. 
And most people are not going to notice that. But but something like that would be classified as a moisture intrusion event. Okay, got it. So so with that, I, one of the things that I've seen happen a lot with people, and, and I, I really want to get into how that affects where in their home they might find mold, is I noticed that somebody might own a home and shingles have come off the roof over time. And they don't really address replacing the roof. And so there are leaks that are happening and they may not even know that the leaks are coming through, let's say the bathroom or the kitchen. When somebody has a roof that's kind of on the fringe of needing to be replaced, but they don't necessarily want to spend the money to replace it right now, how does that affect mold and moisture intrusion in the actual house? Well, so obviously, you know, the, the easy answer is, is your roof is your first defense. Um, as far as at that elevation of the property, that's your first defense as far as preventing moisture intrusion. So if you have a missing shingle and let's just say it's one missing shingle, which that's the first one you would obviously see is maybe let's just say one shingle. Over time after that, it's going to start peeling more shingles away. But let's just say, for instance, it's one shingle. You crawl up on your roof um, or your husband or your wife, whoever is not scared to get up there. You go up there and you look at it and you can see the tar paper below. So you can't see any of the subroof. It's just the black tar paper. And you go, okay, it's fine. Well, the, the concern you have there, so let's think about the missing shingle. Let's say it's in the middle of your roof. And when I say middle, that's we're talking from the eaves to the ridge. Let's say it's in the middle and you go, okay, the, the, the tar paper looks fine. It, it, everything looks fine here. What you've got to realize is once that water hits that tar paper, so it can either be from runoff from the shingles above it, just because that's how a roof is designed, or just from rainfall, what happens is, is that water obviously runs downhill. So it's running towards the eaves and the water is trapped between the shingles and the tar paper. So what you visibly could see looked fine, but you never know what the tar paper looks like closer to the eaves. There could be, there could be holes in it just from when they installed it. So it's very important to make sure that that is watertight. I know if you don't have the money, you can come up with a lot of things. You can put a tarp up there. There's many things you can do temporarily to take care of the situation. If you choose to, and I, I, I touched on this earlier. If you choose to ignore that one missing shingle, it's going to turn into 15, 20, 30 mission, missing shingles. So now you're 30 times more likely to have a moisture intrusion event. So if it's a money issue, figure out what you can do to prevent it temporarily. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to fix it. It's no different than a wound that's bleeding. You've, you've got to do something to stop it. Because the long-term damage will cost you far more than oh, nipping yeah. it in the bud when it's just a little. It'll problem. cost you, and especially in an attic. So when you have a, when, when we have to do mitigation in an attic, you, one, one thing you gotta realize is it's, it's a lot more expensive due to the fact that the head height in there and the, the, the working area is, is, is very limited. On top of that, you have to remove the insulation. You have to remove from what you can see in the bedroom or room below it, you have to remove that ceiling sheetrock also. So you could have typically, so for the most part, um, and I know this has nothing to do with mold, but to, to do what's called a tear off and replacement of a roof is $330 a square. And one square is 10 square feet. And let's just say a typical home, uh, 
uh, I'm just throwing numbers out here, but typical 25 square home, which is your typical home, that's going to cost you probably about eight or nine thousand dollars just to redo the roof. If they run into subroof issues or mold issues, at the end of the day, a nine thousand dollar fix could end up costing you sixty thousand. So if you're not going to do anything about it, be prepared to to pay financially and with your health and the structure of your home, be prepared to pay a lot higher price down the road if you choose to to ignore it because you don't have the money. Yeah, so ignorance is not bliss in no, that case. No. <laughs> so as we wrap up this episode, one thing that you mentioned was that you'll there is a tendency to have moisture intrusion events in bathrooms, in kitchens. So if you are if you have listeners out there who are parents of small children who like to be in the bathtub and splash water everywhere or go in the shower and don't turn on the vent and then splash water out of the shower curtain. We remember we had William doing something similar to that, making, making a real mess. Um, what's your, what's your tip for parents of small children who in their habits of how they take bath showers, even brush their teeth, could be opening up the door for moisture intrusion that then causes mold problems? What should those parents do? Well, obviously you need to, you need to monitor the habits of those children. So you touched on a few things that we'll go into deeper. Um, I, I, I go into it really deep in my books, but one of the key things when you mention a bathroom and you mentioned the exhaust fan, everybody thinks that exhaust fan is a fart fan. So it's just there to take <laughs> smell away. Uh, some of us use that fan because we don't want to have a, other people here sitting there grunting trying to poop. But the, the actual reason and the reason behind the code for an exhaust fan is the fact that it's to keep the, the humidity at a lower, at below 50%. So the exhaust fan always has to be on when you're showering. Um, code states you either have to have the fan or an openable window. Either way, you have to have proper ventilation. If you have kids that are splashing and causing a mess, beat the shit out of them and then deal with it later. Obviously, that was a joke. <laughs> But you need to explain to them what, what problem it's causing. And so I know it sounds weird, but always make sure, even if your kids have their own bathroom, that you go in there and you monitor, like look at the baseboard. You can see. It's not that hard to see that their habits. So you have to explain to them the reason behind why they shouldn't be splashing all over or why they should be running that fan. So... Don't, it's, we don't have to be helicopter parents, but go in there and pay attention to their habits. And if they're really young, try to correct those habits. Cause over time, those, those moisture intrusion events are, they're very minimal, but they happen over a long period of time. And when I say a long period of time, it can go on for years. And by the time you figure out that there's an issue, your subfloor is rotted. There's going to be a lot of things that have to be addressed. So just monitor what they're doing. And, and correct that behavior when you're doing that. Explain to them. Just say, this is the reason why. Google mold infestation and show that picture to your, your teenage kids. They, if they knew that's what they were creating, I would hope that they would be pro, more proactive to, to preventing a mold infestation. Awesome. Awesome. I never knew that a fart fan was more than a fart fan. <laughs> right there. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will catch you on the next episode of the Toxic Mold Podcast. Prevent toxic mold exposure before it gets in your home. 
Download Steve's free mold investigation checklist at tinyurl.com forward slash CNC mold checklist. Again, download Steve's free mold investigation checklist at tinyurl.com forward slash CNC mold checklist.